If you want to support our podcast financially, please visit patreon.com slash IIMBSB. Also, email us with questions or ideas at ifimaypodcast at gmail.com. On today's episode, we're kicking off our book club, reading Mating in Captivity, Unlocking Erotic Intelligence by Esther Perel. We are discussing the introduction and chapter one. The introduction and chapter one kind of sets up the premise, which is, we've made reference to this once before, but that um, desire and excitement over time in a relationship dwindles. And she is challenging that notion um, and asking questions about whether that's actually true. And chapter one looks at some specific relationships in which people have experienced this lack of desire and kind of tries to get inside why that is actually happening and not assuming it's just inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. In these chapters, Esther acknowledges that it's hard to generate excitement, anticipation, and lust with the same person you look to for comfort and stability. But luckily for us, it's not impossible. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships. The ones we have with others and the one we have with ourselves. And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about that relationship too. I'm Dan Epstein. I don't want to go up on the name. You want to say, I'm Dan Epstein. (laughs) I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer, and relational coach. I'm Justin Waring Crane, therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star. Quickly, I want to share some feedback that came in from a friend and listener, Maya. Thank you for listening, Maya. This is in response to episode five, five, the episode that I did with my mom. So Maya wrote in to say, just wanted to say that I loved this week's episode and I've been thinking about it. Justin, I'm in awe of the work you've put into growing relationships and healing pain. If you decide to become a mom, which I think you've mentioned you want to, this work you're doing right now will be so helpful. If there's one thing very present and raw in early postpartum, it's the mother wound. Multiple friends of mine did not do this type of work before becoming mothers. And the strained relationship with their moms is so amplified. Thank you for sharing with all of us. XOXO. Thank you, Maya. And Maya has a young child. Maya has an adorable young baby, young toddler. So thank you, Maya, and sending love to Kiki. One of the world's most respected voices on erotic intelligence, Esther Perel offers a bold, provocative new take on intimacy and sex. 
Mating in Captivity invites us to explore the paradoxical union of domesticity and sexual desire and explains what it takes to bring lust home. Drawing on more than 35 years of experience as a couples therapist, Perel examines the complexities of sustaining desire. Through case studies and lively discussion, Perel demonstrates how more exciting, playful, and even poetic sex is possible in long-term relationships. Wise, witty, and as revelatory as it is straightforward, Mating in Captivity is a sensational book that will transform the way you live and love. So you and I made a decision that we're going to move in together. And, you know, we've made reference to the fact in the past that one of the fears that is shared fear between or shared fear for both of us is being in a stale relationship. Being in a relationship that is kind of routine, too comfortable, too safe. And of course, then the decision to move in together is going to dance with that fear. So it makes sense to me that you proposed that we read this book before moving in together. So do you want to talk about like uh, how that, how you just, how you decided to propose that or why you did? Yeah. Um, I, I was just having some anxiety at the prospect of moving in together and just sort of going in like hoping for the best without putting any intention into it, any structure into it. And I was in a therapy session with my therapist and she suggested that I don't think she necessarily, I I can't remember. I think she did suggest like you guys could read, you know, some Esther Perel together. You could read, Mm -hmm. you know, other authors who talk about this, these themes. Um, And it, it was just really clear to me from that therapy session that it wasn't just that I was going to say to Dan, like, maybe we could like read this book together. It was going to be like, in order to move in, like, I really need us to read this book together and like use it as a tool Mm -hmm. to nurture our relationship through this transition. Yeah. Yeah, That's one of the things that I think is good about our relationship and that we met at the time in our lives that we met is like, yeah, I mean, we went to our first couples therapy session really early on and this feels like consistent with that of like, it's not like there's this urgent issue happening, but we like recognize that, you know, it'd be helpful to have reference points and like a foundation for when things inevitably do get, uh, we go through periods of like feeling disconnected, maybe feeling, you know, um, lack of flow, lack of desire, stuff like that. Cause yeah. I, I mean, seems like pretty much every relationship does experience those things. Yeah. 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 I mean, and as we'll talk about, and as Esther talks about sometimes the more intimacy that you have Mm -hmm. and the more closeness that you have and the more commitment and stability you have, the less desire you have, the less excitement. And I think that's so interesting. And, um, 
yeah, that's, I think why it's, if you do have a stable, committed relationship with somebody at some point or another, you're going to have a hard time desiring them and wanting them. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So there's, we have a little paradox there. Yeah. So I think, you know, this will be, I think, useful and hopefully interesting and entertaining, even if you don't read the book along with us. But you feel like it, go for it. Um, And, you know, obviously you can come to these episodes if you want to wait until you are reading it and come to these episodes when you are as well. Yeah. Maybe that's unnecessary to say that. Okay. Well, do you want to dive in? Yeah. So we're going to talk about the introduction in chapter one today. Um, And then, you know, the idea is that we are using this content to uh, inspire discussion and, you know, we'll be referencing experiences we've had together, like conversations we've had together if they, um, if certain parts of the book inspire us to do so. So in our introduction to the book, Esther says that she doesn't really take a statistical approach when it comes to her lens on sex. This book, she says, speaks about the eroticism and the poetics of sex, the nature of desire and its attendant dilemmas. When you love someone, how does it feel? And when you desire someone, how is it different? Does good intimacy always lead to good sex? Why is it that the transition to parenthood so often spells erotic disaster? Why is the forbidden so erotic? Is it possible to want what we already have? Yeah. Yeah. This passage makes me... It just feels really like in step with my experience of our relationship and like, you know, having not been in one for a long time and then being in this one and being older than I was you know, the last time I was in like a long-term relationship. What I felt off, what I felt like pretty consistently is that being in this relationship at this time has really confronted me with myself because I have been in therapy a lot. And, you know, um, my lens on my own happiness is different. It's more complex now. So I say that all to say that I recognize how being in a relationship with you, which feels, you know, pretty stable, pretty committed. Um, and like, it's not, it's a pretty, I would say, unchaotic relationship. Um, it's like, yeah, it's forcing me to have to confront what I have and who I am right now. And like, you know, whether I have the tools and the desire to embrace my life and not like spend the rest of my life chasing something I don't have. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. So let me see if I understand. You're saying that you are being faced with this conflict in yourself or this, or not knowing if you, 
you've never had the experience or you don't have practice being uh, satisfied with what you have in a, mm. in a romantic relationship. It's like you, once you have something, then you're, you're thinking about the next thing or you're, mm. you're saying like, oh, the grass looks greener over there or I need to be chasing some other kind of dynamic or person. Maybe just kind of re- rephrase what you, what you just said because I don't know if I'm getting it. Yeah, I've just noticed that, you know, it's, it's really different uh, being in a relationship. Being in a relationship is quite different than the previous six years of being single was, you know. Um, what are some of the, the biggest differences? It's like I didn't have to show up for anyone in an intimate way. I mean, my friends, sure, but different. Not yourself? You know? Well, yeah, maybe not. I mean, I think, you know, throughout that period, I worked on liking myself. I worked on being softer with myself and slowing down and going into uh, my own sadness and rage in ways that I'd never been forced to. Um, But just on a day-to-day level, I mean, it's just really feels like a very different existence like mm-hmm. uh being in a committed relationship and you know i was on dating apps on and off and just feeling that sensation that like there was you know i wanted to be in a relationship again i wasn't in a hurry especially from the first like 4 years but uh i sensed that at some point i probably would be in a relationship again i expected that would probably happen at some point Um, but then when I actually got into this relationship, it was kind of like, okay, you know, this person does, uh, accept me and is not like trying to get me to be a different person, you know, in ways that I feel like often I was trying to get myself to be a different person. So I feel confronted in that where it's like, you're somebody who... I do admire and I do love. And so I feel that I feel the, I feel in a very like lived way that my relationship with myself has to also, you know, be functional or else this relationship won't work. And that's different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when there are periods of time where we aren't necessarily in flow or things aren't feeling like that fun or exciting, I feel confronted with that in a way where I'm like, okay, like this isn't about like going out and changing something externally. This is about investigating what's going on with me mm-hmm. and whether my I'm meeting my own needs in a way. Yes. And stuff like that. And I think that, you know, that, that concept of like, can you want what you already have makes me think of that. Mm. So you, you are seeing now that if something isn't feeling flowy or alive about the relationship that maybe that's something, you know, about Mm. our dynamic, sure. But you're also realizing that it's not like, oh, this is a problem with my partner 
you know, mm. if, if only they would accept me for who right. I am, then everything would be okay. Yeah. Because it's like, I do accept you for who you are and you mm. know that. And so the call is then coming from inside the house of like, do I accept me? Mm-hmm. You know, do I desire myself? Right. Right. And there's like, when we've had, you know, things come up that we needed to hash out, they've been things around that. Like I think about early on when you voiced concern that I don't like experience, I don't like practice being playful. Mm-hmm. You're at the time in particular, I wasn't, you were observing me and saying, it's concerning to me that you don't allow yourself to just play. Meaning like, like play being an activity that's just for joy mm-hmm. and for play and not for your career, not for like writing a song, like, you know, it just, just to enjoy yeah. life. Yeah. That was maybe one of our first conflicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I felt, I remember just feeling like, oh, like, yeah. I mean, that's true. Mm-hmm. And also, ah, I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> yeah. I, it's cool, like sitting here now and looking back on the relationship, you know, we've only been together two years, you know, going on three years. I don't know how to count. Two and a half, probably. Two and a half years. So um, I think saying I don't know how to count is really fun (laughs) and funny. Okay. But um, what I'm noticing is that I look back on the relationship and we've, it's, we've had a lot of different relationships Mm. together over that time. Yeah. And that is something Esther talks about is that like you will have many different relationships with the same person over Mm -hmm. time. And it's cool. It's like, look back on the evolution and think, you know, there's going to be so many more iterations of this relationship in the future. Yeah. So I want to hear from, did you say what you wanted to say? I think so. Okay. But I also want to put it out there to listeners. When I read these questions, which Esther is going to, you know, answer or just sort of discuss in the coming chapters. When I read these questions, you know, feel free to, to write in, email us, DM us. What do you think about these? You know, does intimacy lead to better sex? When you love someone, how does it feel versus when you desire someone? Mm-hmm. What is the difference there? Why is the forbidden so erotic? Um, that's one I think about because, you know, the forbidden has such a a deep um, place <laughs> like in my DNA coming from a religious background, you know, if something is forbidden, it's because it's evil, you know, Mm. and it can't lead to anything good. But as we know, like life, life shows us that if something's forbidden, it makes it all the more exciting and interesting. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think totally, I think, you know, Esther Perel, for me, one of the hugest shifts that happened in reading her work was that I always thought um, cheating was the end of a relationship. That if there's cheating, if there's infidelity, the relationship is is going to end. 
And for many couples, that's not the case. For many couples, that's, you know, reawakens the relationship and, you know, not always, but Mm. that really challenged my worldview Mm. when it came to how I see cheating and, and infidelity. And it was, it became so much less black and white which is, you know, which is, which is always so important for me. I think the biggest shifts that I experience are like, um, going, getting away from that extreme black and white thinking. Yeah, what you're speaking about, I think, is a good is a good like uh, is a ma- is a major part of what her work kind of represents in my mind. Like her work sort of flies in the face of the norms that like we grew up with in terms of okay, what marks what like designates a good relationship? Like all like your totally consumed by your love for your partner. You know, your devotion looks like this. Devotion looks like you're number one. You, I would never, you know, your like... Your partner is number one. Yeah. If right. I express my attraction to other people, that is evidence of some dysfunction, you know? Right. Where like now, that sounds crazy. Yeah. To me. It's so, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, I know that not everybody feels this way, but it's been surprising to realize that, that I feel this way. I feel that I want to flirt with other people Mm -hmm. and I want you to do the same, you know, because it's like, then you're experiencing your sexuality, like as a man, you know, and not just like my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. That's really important. To me. Yeah. And the connection with religion, particularly Christianity, uh, feels very apt because it's like, I'm, I wasn't raised Christian, but you know, it seems like it's about squashing your sinful intentions or like desires or whatever. And that like, it will be worth it if you just choose faith yeah (laughs) you know trust me it'll be worth it yeah (laughs) which which like when i think about that in terms of relationship it's like yeah that's gonna ruin the relationship yeah yeah so i think that actually leads us to a really cool place um in chapter one which we can come back to the introduction if needed but that's a really great segue so Chapter one is called From Adventure to Captivity, Why the Quest for Security Saps Erotic Vitality. So you just said, (laughs) no, I can't remember why it was a good segue. I said, can you tell me what you just said? I was talking about Christianity and like the idea that you need to like say no to your sinful um, feelings and Mm -hmm. behaviors. And it'll be worth it if you do. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah. Yeah. So I think the parallel here is, you know, if we think about, you know, 
instead of like a committed relationship to God, mm-hmm. the secular version of that, it's like the committed relationship to your partner mm-hmm. and putting them first mm-hmm. and just com- committing to them a hundred percent. And then you're going to get the relationship that you need and that you want. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to like think about other people. You're not going to two time them. You're not going to, you know, be chasing tail. <laughs> oh God. Um, <laughs> and, and in the process of, of that, what actually happens is in this quest for stability and commitment, you risk losing vitality and aliveness right. in the relationship and inside your own self. So right. this couple of paragraphs I'm going to read because it um, made me fall to my knees and uh, was like a punch in the gut in the best way. So this is on page nine, chapter one, a modern love story, the short version. You meet someone through a potent alchemy of attraction. It is a sweet reaction and it's always a surprise. You're filled with a sense of possibility, of hope, of being lifted out of the mundane and into a world of emotion and enthrallment. Love grabs you and you feel powerful. You cherish the rush and you want to hold on to the feeling. You're also scared. The more you become attached, the more you have to lose. So you set out to make love more secure. You seek to fix it, to make it dependable. You make your first commitments and happily give up a little bit of freedom in exchange for a little bit of stability. You create comfort through devices habit, ritual, pet names that bring reassurance. But the excitement was bound to a certain measure of insecurity. Your high resulted from the uncertainty. And now by seeking to harness it, you wind up draining the vitality out of the relationship. You enjoy the comfort, but complain that you feel constrained. You miss the spontaneity. In your attempt to control the risks of passion, You have tamed it out of existence. I'm going to read that again. In your attempt to control the risks of passion, you have tamed it out of existence. And thus marital boredom is born. Yeah. Yeah. So a big part of this book that was new for me when I checked it out was, uh, yeah, this idea that intimacy and sexual desire can sometimes run in conflict with each other. That like in the past, you know, I think people would say if you're if you're there's a problem with your sex life, it's because like the intimacy and the other parts of the relationship aren't in flow. And she's arguing that that's not true. Right. You can have, you know, not great intimacy. You can have, you know, stress in the relationship. You can have uncertainty. And have really great sex, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just kind of a weird paradox that in fact, sometimes, you know, stress or distance, Mm -hmm. um, time apart creates this this pull towards each other. You might crave your partner because of the dysfunction and sex is like this amazing release and relief from 
that. Right. Without labeling that, I like that she doesn't label that healthy or unhealthy. She's just like, this is what it is. Like Mm -hmm. you can have not great intimacy and have amazing sex at the same time, which is just not what, Mm -hmm. what other, you know, therapists and psychologists have, have uh, said over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about, you know, I count myself as anxiously attached. um, And I think about other people I know who are anxiously attached and, you know, the years I've seen them trying to find a partner just to get to that point of safety and comfort, right? So that pull is so strong. Yeah. And okay, so this is a good segue into the other part that she talks about, which is that some people tend to fall in the category of placing comfort and safety and predictability above all else. And other people tend to place adventure and desire and excitement above that. Yeah. She talks about how most people um, will eventually settle on one side of the spectrum. So if you have... um, being bold and taking risks on one side of the spectrum and then seeking grounding and safety on the other side of the spectrum, you know, we all fluctuate back Mm -hmm. and forth throughout our lives, but, but most of us will settle more towards one side. Yeah. Which brings, which brings us to talk to back to our relationship, which uh, tell me if you disagree, but I think that we are people who ideologically place adventure and passion first, but in behavior, we tend to yes. <laughs> seek comfort and predictability. Yeah, absolutely. And that has yeah come up. Yeah. And I mean, I wonder how that's going to affect when we live together, mm-hmm. um, you know, in worrying about getting too comfortable, worrying about um, things getting stale or too routine. Um, or too close and just kind of like being, you know, face to like, what's the word? Smashed together at all times um, <laughs> with no distance between us. And then basically like the other person becomes like this pile of like laundry that you're like draping over, you know, it's like, that's not even my like sexy partner anymore. That's like this piece of furniture. Oh, that's Bob. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like that type of. <laughs> right. Um, so in, in worrying about that, um, it's, you know, it's a priority for me to have my own space, which is why like, I'm going to have my own room when I move in, you know, my own bedroom. And, um, yeah. You know, I might in- invite Dan over there sometimes. He might invite me, you know, over to his room sometimes. But it's like, yeah, that feels important to me to have that built, like like that structural mm-hmm. um, distance just sort of. Built yeah. In. Yeah. I have a friend who's married and has kids. And I was telling her that Justin wanted to have a room in the house that could be her like retreat for, you know, when she needs that separateness. And she was saying that she's on this Facebook group, in this Facebook group, and someone just, it was like for moms, I think, someone posed the question, like, how do people stay married anyways? And a lot of people were responding saying separate bedrooms. 
like having separate beds. Yeah, which is another sort of um, um, idea that challenges this popular notion mm-hmm. that like, you know, uh-oh, if they slept in separate beds, like that's, yeah. you know, the the final stop before, you know, breakup. Um, yeah, I remember <laughs> I had a friend growing up whose parents had different bedrooms. And I remember just being like, oh God, that's so depressing. Totally. I remember yeah. like, yeah, hearing about that and and my immediate judgment was like, that's so sad. <laughs> you know, like my parents like would never, you know, like yeah. my parents are so happy. Like they don't need to spend any time apart, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, it's funny because now um, they're at a place in their relationship where they're trying to spend more time apart, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> for the, and for the health of the the relationship, for the greater good. Right. Yeah, I want to read a passage that I liked. Do you want the book too? If you No, it's okay. okay. So this is kind of coming out of a passage where she's, she's referring, she's telling about a particular couple where they're experiencing this thing that like they don't really desire each other. Like everything's great except there's, they don't really have sex ever. Is this Adele? Yeah, this Adele is Adele. and Alan. Alan. Yep. So she says, Eroticism is risky. People are afraid to allow themselves these moments of idealization and yearning for the person they live with. It introduces a recognition of the other's sovereignty that can feel destabilizing. When our partner stands alone with his own will and freedom, the delicateness of our bond is magnified. Adele's vulnerability is obvious in the way she wonders if Alan ever feels this way about her. So then she says, the the typical defense against this threat is to stay within the realm of the familiar and the affectionate, the trivial bickering, the comfortable sex, the quotidian aspects of life that keep us tethered to reality and bar any chance of transcendence. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) So yeah, this makes me think about a particular time early, again, early in our relationship when everything had just been really like pretty easy. And uh, really like we felt really compatible and like there was all this evidence that, that to me in the way I was making sense out of our new relationship that we were really, yeah, compatible and things were just like really working. Um, and I, But I do remember like things had kind of gotten a little routine for the first time where it was like, huh, like I'm not feeling the excitement as much. And I remember you brought it up and you told me that like, you know, the fact that you had to be the one to bring it up because it was palpable Mm -hmm. that we were experiencing some block Mm -hmm. and that you had to bring it up and that I didn't bring it up Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, that like created some doubt for you about everything. Yeah. It made me feel scared because... I just figured that the fact that you didn't bring it up meant that you had given up, Mm. that you didn't want to work on it and that you Mm -hmm. were sort of preparing to, um, to disconnect and to break up and to just completely like disengage. Mm. So yeah, it was, um, it was scary. And I just, I just was telling myself these stories that like you I was like, man, he just doesn't, he doesn't care enough to want to like work this out. It just, it's gotten hard and like he, he doesn't want to try to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and our relationship hadn't been tested at all at that point. So it makes sense that you would feel that way. And then I remember we like, I think we probably did talk about specifically doing this, but we weren't like texting as much. Mm -hmm. And we like, you know, it felt like a reset. It did. That felt sad and scary, but also like really invigorating Mm -hmm. too, where I was like, you, I felt your sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really am attracted to your sovereignty, you know? Yes. It's like uh, the fact that you're like, yeah, no, I mean, we don't know that this relationship is going to turn into this long-term thing. Like, mm-hmm. and, you know, when we pretend like it's all, everything is like so comfortable and like simple, then that actually... It weakens the Feels weak, yeah. yeah. It feels, feels thin. Yeah. One sign, one way that I can tell if I'm starting to just sort of... Um, glom on to you too much is if I like, I like touch you in certain ways that are like not really seeing you as a separate person, Mm. almost kind of like disrespecting like your body autonomy Mm. and like, you know, like touching you like in whatever way, like that I want to, and not like even thinking about like, Oh, maybe Dan like doesn't like this, but then like you would, you let me know. You're like, no, like, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm like, oh, it's sort of like a wake up call where I'm yeah. like, I didn't even think about him not liking it yeah. or seeing him as like having separate preferences from me, right. which is like a big red flag because then it's like, oh, I'm just starting to like melt into this person and see him yeah. as an extension of my own body. Well, right. And like, I really am very glad we don't have a power dynamic like that where it's the kind of thing where, you know, I can imagine another relationship where you touch me, I say no, you get insecure that I don't want physical touch from you and you retreat and then you make me have to come. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I can imagine that anxious avoidant. Oh yeah. And, and it's like not having that or like having a level of trust where that isn't really coming up. Mm-hmm. It like allows it allows for a trust in the relationship and the fact like the fact that I can be like, no, like don't touch me right now. And that that could be good for the relationship. That's really new for me. me too. And it, it feel that feels exciting yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's really cool. And to think about like what other like revelations like that we're going to yeah. have. It's like, it makes me, it gives me an image of like, this ideal that we're making reference to of like the traditional like prehistoric model of like what a re- ideal relationship and like devotional relationship would look like as this like porcelain sculpture, like this really delicate thing that you have to like uh, be so careful not to shatter it. You know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Like it'll get shattered if one person transgresses. Or something right, that makes sense. Right, right. Whereas, like, what, I don't know what the the image for this would be. A we're like or testing it. You know? you know, we're actually like testing it makes it stronger. Or like the Japanese 
thing with the plates where you put the gold yeah. blue and you stronger the it becomes strong. Blue. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that imagery or like a tree, you know, it's like over time, like the roots mm-hmm. get stronger, go deeper. You know, mm-hmm. trees are actually in community with other trees. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's yeah, it like cool. it like sways in the breeze, but it doesn't break. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, well, do you want to talk about the thing about like uh, keeping track of? Oh, okay, yeah. So, what does this tie into? Let me see where my where my anchor was in the book. Okay, so back in the introduction. Esther says, you know, I'm less inclined toward a statistical approach to sex, whether you're still having it, how often, how long it lasts, who comes first, and how many orgasms you have. Instead, I want to address the questions that don't have easy answers. So when I read that, I was thinking about this, um, what should I call it? This, I guess, pattern of thinking that I was having around sex with within me and Dan's relationship where I was really tracking in my mind, like, you know, how long has it been since we last had sex and like really trying to, to quantify, mm-hmm. you know, how long has it been and what was like the quality of that sexual encounter and, you know, what does that mean if, if it's been like one week or two weeks or two and a half weeks, like, does this mean now the relationship is going downhill? Because I was referencing, you know, all these myths, you know, things that you hear in popular culture that it's like, okay, first, you know, we, we stopped having sex every day and then we only were having sex once a week and then every month, like once a month, you know, and then that was like the decline of the relationship, which, mm-hmm. you know, could be true for people, but I was, atta- I was assigning this meaning if, if I was feeling like it's not frequent enough. And in my head, I was like, I think, you know, we should be having sex every day, you know, like once a day, like that seems like a good number, which is like coming from nowhere, you know, maybe it was coming from like this fan fiction I read, like when I was in sixth grade, you know, that was like, (laughs) that I just like then like was clutching onto that number. So, um, so then I was listening to a podcast, you know, in like a few months ago that was talking about how like, you know, it doesn't matter the number. It really doesn't matter the number that there are couples who have sex like once every six months and who are wildly happy and in love. And it's like, you know, the six months leading up to the sexual encounter, that's their foreplay, you know, and they're like, and that's what works for them. So I was able to let go of the numbers game and just kind of come back to like, well, how is the relationship feeling? Mm-hmm. How do I feel? Yeah. You know, do I feel desired? Do I feel like desiring of Dan? And I was just like, yeah, I just, it feels like such a big relief mm-hmm. because I think I was just like really getting stuck Yeah, on the numbers of it all. Yeah. It was when you were talking about it just now, it made me think about um, diet culture which Ooh. we've talked about, you know. Here we go. And just that you're like, because I was feeling that when you were feeling more scarce and like worried, like living fearfully about like our sex life. 
And then it, it didn't make me feel, it made me feel worried like I had to show up in a certain way. Right. Um, it just causes more, more stress, which leads yeah. to less sex, you know? Typically. Right. Yeah. Like the analyzing of, of that, the like hypervigilance. And it, it, it just reminds me of the way like food becomes that for people, like this thing to be fearful of, you know, it felt like it felt in a similar way, just like yes. our sex life is this thing. Like we have to like keep it a certain way as opposed to like what actually is organically happening. Right. Like, like it actually yeah. will like be what it needs to be. And yeah. like, that's so nice to not have to, to like work, like to exhaust myself. Mm-hmm. trying to like keep it in check or keep tabs on it. Like I can mm-hmm. just like let it do what it needs to do. And like, that's actually so much more joyful yeah. and fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's cool. Yeah. That's good. And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self-produce this podcast. So please subscribe, rate and review. It really helps.